0: Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come, gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everybody. We are here for another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Um, I love the opportunity I have to bring you new authors and new stories. Um, Some are maybe stories you've heard before. Some are maybe authors you don't know exist yet. And that's all part of the fun. It certainly is for me. I love meeting new authors and hearing their stories. Today, we're going to be hearing from Kathleen Casca and she's gonna be reading a little bit from her novel for us. Welcome, Kathleen, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me, I'm happy to be here. This is gonna be fun. Um, your book is a mystery, um, perhaps cozy mystery, um, depending on who's reading it. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really excited because I love mysteries. They're always, you know, that, that cat and mouse cloak and dagger is really fun for me so uh, i'm excited to learn about your book and and hear what you have to share with us today so i'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you so they understand a little bit about your background kathleen is a texas gal except for an 18-month hiatus living in new york city after college she lived in the lone star estate continuously for 50 years since then texas has been hit and miss a little hit But a heck of a lot of mess. There was time when she thought she would happily die in Austin, Texas, but circumstances and weather, especially weather, changed that. Now she spends most of the year on Fidelgo Island in Washington State with a view of the bay and the mountains. When she gets homesick, she and her husband listen to Willie Nelson. Soon they're dancing the two-step, imagining they are at their favorite honky-tonk in Tokyo, Texas, where the mayor, by the way, is believed to be a dog. (laughs) Who wouldn't miss that? I certainly wouldn't. I think we should vote more dogs into mayorships across the country. I think this is a good plan. Um, Kathleen writes award-winning mysteries, the Sydney Lockhart mystery series set in the 1950s, and the classic... Tri- uh, Triviology, that, that's an interesting word, uh, mystery series, which includes the Sherlock Holmes quiz book, which was uploaded and released by Lions Press in November of 2020. She also writes the Caraway Animal Rights Mystery Series. We definitely have to get you back to read some of that because I love me some animals. Uh, On her blog, you can also find her five-minute writing tips and growing up Catholic in a small Texas town. Kathleen also coaches writers and edits manuscripts. Welcome, welcome. You have got a tremendous background.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a a great experience the last 30 years. So I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm enjoying the ride.
0: (laughs) Well, sure. As we all should, I think. Today, you're going to be reading from a book titled Murder at the Menger. And is that, as I understand it, the Menger is a hotel, correct? It is. It is. Okay, great. Um, as I said, I haven't read this book yet, um, but yeah, I'm always looking for new ones. So we'll add it to the TBR pile, right. which is already you know six feet tall. So the synopsis of the book goes like this. The Mrs. Maisel of the mystery world, Sydney Lockhart, takes you on a thrill ride around San Antonio as she searches for the next killer. She's at it again. Sydney Lockhart is trying to solve a murder in another famous hotel while avoiding being looked up for the very crime she's investigating. Bribes, fixed races, dirty money, and unkept places. A string of illicit deeds that trail from San Antonio to New Orleans and back again be it plane, train, or automobile, Sydney will get to the bottom of this case in her own determined style. It's 1953 and Detective Sydney Lockhart finds herself solving another murder. The victim is a slick bookie named Johnny Pine who had his dirty fingers in pies from Texas to Florida. Sydney tracks Pine to the Menger Hotel in San Antonio, where she discovers he's been murdered in the room next to hers. And as usual, Sydney is a suspect. With her partner, Ralph Dixon, handling the case from Austin, or so she believes, Sydney is working alone in unfamiliar territory. To make matters worse, her car is stolen, and she elicits the help of an Irish cab driver named Taco and a bouncer named Rip. Soon she's on the trail of Nora Jasper, a harlot jazz singer and pines girlfriend. Corpses start to pile up a string of illicit deeds surface and Sydney's home life goes south. But the investigation takes a bizarre turn when Sydney is whacked over the head and thrown into the river. She surfaces with a faulty memory, uncertain of whom she can trust. Her only choice is to find the killer before the killer finds her or before she gets arrested. Okay, this sounds like a really fun story. I am super excited to hear you read about this. I think this is gonna be a blast. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm just gonna settle myself back and I'm gonna curl up with the dog here a little bit. And I'm gonna listen to you tell me a story along with everybody else. So when you're ready, please, take the microphone and read aloud.
1: Okay, thank you, Diana. This is the fifth mystery in my Sydney Lockhart series and every book is set in a different historic hotel. So this one is set in the Minger Hotel in San Antonio, which is located right across the street from the Alamo in the heart of downtown San Antonio. The chapter that I'm reading also includes Sydney's sidekick, her crazy cousin, Ruth, who is a very wealthy socialite and spends most of her time shopping. So I wanted to throw that in because Ruth appears in this chapter. Excellent. Before I drove out to the star motor court, I stopped at the minger. It was still early, but there was a chance that Ruth had finished shopping, or at least come back to drop off boxes before she headed out again. I wanted to toss an idea her way. Instead, I felt as if I had taken a fastball to the gut. I parked across the street from the minger when a familiar form caught my eye. My stomach fluttered. A moment of joy bubbled up from my toes, Dixon, He was getting out of his car it took all of my reserve not to run over and throw my arms around him, but a lovesick teenager, I am not. I stood there waiting for him to look up waiting for him to notice me then in another moment my joy turned to concern then fear something about the look on his face what was it worry. Bad news, I was about to call his name when he headed in the opposite direction. I followed. Two blocks down, he slowed his pace, pulled a slip of paper from his pocket and looked around. He walked on and paused in front of the Natchez Hotel. He straightened his tie, removed his hat, brushed his hair back with his hand and went Good sense told me to turn around and go back to the mirror. Whatever errand he was on, I'd learn about it soon enough. He was probably following a lead, and me showing up might throw a wrench into the works. But my good sense went south. With momentary joy, I felt upon seeing him, and I waited a short while and went in. He approached a young woman sitting in the lounge. She stood and reached out her hand, and he held it in both of his. The smile on his face when he kissed her cheek tore my insides to shreds. They walked into the lounge and disappeared into the room's darkness. I fled the hotel. My head spun. I took the path down by the river and kept walking. It's not what it seemed, I kept telling myself. If he was involved with another woman, surely he would meet her in San Antonio where he knew I was waiting. Maybe it had to do with the case. That was it. She must be a lead. I inhaled a few deep breaths. The raw pungent odor of the river replaced my unfounded fear with a bit of Lockhart pluck. I walked into the minger as Ruth was leaving the hotel's hair salon. You look fabulous, I said. Oh, Pooey, that hairdresser I gave her the latest picture of Marilyn Monroe and asked if she could give me the same style. A lot of good that did. I have more curls than your goofy poodle. Well, actually the curls make you look rather flattering. You think so? You think, so? You think Palmer will like it? The way he oogles you, you would notice if you shaved your head. The man is definitely smitten. Sometimes I wonder, He doesn't look at me the same way Dixon looks at you. Dixon, I felt my stomach fall to my feet. What's wrong, Sid? It's nothing, I'm fine. You most certainly are not. Did you two have a falling out? No, not at all. Sydney Jean Lockhart, you're hiding something. She grabbed my hand and dragged me into the lounge. The waiter came and Ruth ordered a martini set up then pulled out a pint of gin from her purse. I'll mix and pour, you talk, tell me everything. I'm probably working too hard, it's nothing. It's never nothing. Okay, but I'm sure I'm making too much of it. Ruth pursed her lips and glared, spill. The flood of emotions came out of nowhere. One moment I was playing the part of a tough girl and the next I was sobbing like a teenager. Oh my gosh, Sydney, drink this. I down the martini in one gulp. I think Dixon is having second thoughts about me, about us, about everything. Moving to Austin, opening the agency, getting involved, the whole nine yards. He's been distant and somewhat cranky, and and I don't think he's been entirely honest with me. I told her about his trip to Hot Springs and his reluctance to come to, Austin, or to San Antonio last night. I think he might be seeing someone else. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Dixon is devoted to you. There's more. One day last week, I stopped at Scarborough's on the way to the office. What did you buy? Are they having a sale? What? Is that all you care about? Lower your voice. I'm just trying to lighten things up. But tell me, what did you buy? Jeez, stockings, okay? I bought stockings. Okay, go on. Seemed? Ruth? Come on, Sid. I can't see Dixon cheating on you. He's not a womanizer. But I've only known him about a year. You sound like a teenage girl. That's how I feel. Anyway, I left the department store and I saw him coming down the street toward me. He was several blocks away and I wasn't sure he saw me, so I waited. He immediately turned down Colorado and picked up his pace. I hurried on and when I got to Colorado, he was nowhere in sight. I know he was avoiding me. Even Billy and Phoebe, I asked Billy and Phoebe if everything was okay with the Dixon and they both reacted the same way. Blushed, stammered, and change the subject. You're being paranoid. Well, you can see for yourself, he's here. He's checked in, wonderful. You want me to grill him? Absolutely not. Just use your female intuition, that's all. Leave it to me, if he's up to something, I'll find out. Don't you worry. But what if he is up to something? We'll cross that bridge when we burn it. Excuse me? It's a nepotism. You mean euphemism. That's what I said. It sounds more like a disaster. She poured us another drink. This one I sipped. I was deciding whether or not to tell Ruth about the woman Dixon had met in the hotel down the street when I realized that woman looked familiar. Maybe from the time I lived in Houston, or maybe it was Galveston. No, more recent. Austin, was she a waitress at Zeke's, a teller at the bank? Try as I might, I couldn't place her. There's more, Ruth said. There's something you're not telling me. No, it's just the case. It has me stymied. I'm on my way back to the motor court to where Nora is staying. Be good. And you be careful. And trust me, everything will be fine. Ruth sashayed away. I took a lesson from my petite cousin. She was not often faced by discord. She was a Dublin pincher and a Pomeranian body. The Star Motor Court was misnamed. It should have been called Seedy Arms. The parking lot was a mix of gravel and broken glass and littered with cigarette wrappers and beer bottle caps. A rusted out Chevy missing all four tires set on cinder blocks. Weeds and vines had grown up around it and had made their way up through the floorboard. In a couple of years, a vehicle, vehicle would become invisible under the vegetation. I opened the door to the office and the smell of sour milk escaped. I rang the bell on the counter. A, a woman from around the corner peered out. Her hair was tied up in a scarf and a bead of sweat slid down her cheek. She held an ice pick in her hand. I don't know why I bother, she said. I've been defrosting this icebox, this worthless piece of shit all afternoon. Do you want a room? Sorry, we don't rent to single women. Listen, I don't want a room, I'm looking for someone. He ain't here, honey. If the hubby is fooling around, dump him. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Yeah, yeah, I know. The city of unfaithful spouses and notorious single women. I'm looking for a woman who checked in Saturday morning by the name of Sally Porter. I told you we don't rent to single women. Besides, we don't reveal names. Just check, will you? I slapped a five on the counter. It disappeared with a sleight of hand any magician would be proud of. The the desk clerk laid her ice pick on the counter and looked down at the book. Mm. We had one check-in. And S. Porter, you think that's your husband? You think he's with his girly friend? You're a very astute woman. I looked down at her name stitched across her pocket. Patsy, I'm here to shove my ring down his throat and tell her that she can have him with my blessing. Now you're talking, but I wouldn't waste my time if I were you. Drive down to Josky's and buy yourself a new outfit and go tie one on. I'll think about it. Which room are they in? A huge thud sounded from the back room. Finally, I've been chipping away at that iceberg for an hour. Now I get to mop it up. Number 14, she called over her shoulder. I left Patsy to her chiseling and went in search of Nora. Room 14 was the second to the last room on the end. I didn't see her car in the parking lot, which could be a bad sign. She had a change of heart and split, or a good sign she was smart enough to park where it wouldn't be seen. I knocked, waited and knocked again. Nora, I called, it's me, Sydney, open up. The curtains covering the windows were thin, and evident, it was evident that the room was dark. Hopefully, after two days, Norma, Nora was sleeping late, but I didn't think so. I tried the doorknob and it turned. I slid my gun from its holster and eased the door open a crack. Nora, I could make out a lump under the bedspread. I switched on the light and walked over. I reached over and shook her shoulder and quickly realized it wasn't hers unless she had beefed up her right forearm muscle and sprouted a mass of dark arm hair during the night. I jerked back the spread. Gerald McGuire's lifeless eyes stared back at me. Another dead body in a bed in another hotel room, another bullet hole in the chest. Judging by the lack of blood on the bed, it was obvious he was killed elsewhere. I flipped the spread over Mr. McGuire's body. Something glimmered. A watch, Nora's watch, lay on the bedside. I left everything. As I found it, I wiped my fingerprints and left the room. I went around the back of the building to see if Nora was, Nora's car was there. It wasn't, nor did I expect it to be. Panic set in as I sped away from the star motor court. Patsy could easily identify me and tell the story of the redhead who came looking for her wayward husband and his girlfriend. And then, when asked by the police if she heard the shot, she'd say, no, since the TV had been blaring in the office. That Mr. McGuire was not killed in that room. But the cops could still claim I'd murdered him elsewhere and placed his body in that room. McGuire wasn't all that big of a guy. It wouldn't be easy, but someone my size might be able to drag the body into the room and put him on the bed. My pulse sped up again. The cops could also claim that Nora and I worked together to kill McGuire. Not a far-fetched theory if you think about it. Once Detective Washburn got a hold of this, our next encounter over coffee at the Minger, our next encounter at the Minger wouldn't be over coffee enough with the speculation. I couldn't do much about what happened to the motor court, but I could take my father's advice and simply ask Dixon what the hell he was up to, or if necessary, take him by the scruff of the neck and shake him. I took a corner too fast and hit the curb and my damaged bumper fell off. I screeched to a stop on the side of the road and threw the bumper in the trunk. I parked my sad looking car a couple of blocks from the hotel determination and anger sounding with every click of my heel on my march to the minger. Eager to get this over with, I took a shortcut down the alley. Someone followed, their steps quickening. Before I could turn around, I felt my skull crack and things went dark.
0: Thank you so much. That was fun. I'm looking forward to reading this book. I think it's gonna be a good one. I really appreciate you coming and reading for us today. I have one question that I'm asking everybody because I just think everybody wants the answer to this question. And that is what was your favorite part about writing this book?
1: That is a a very good question. Uh, Because my books are set in different actual historic hotels and I pick my hotels They have to be, of course, they have to be in business and have have to be in business in the fifties, but still open nowadays. So I get to go and stay in these hotels (laughs) for a while, while, just to get the feel of the place and interview the staff and look at some rooms and then uh, take in the scene around the hotel. And that part of my research is a lot of fun. It's like being on vacation. And and the hotels I pick are those that I like and those that I've stayed at at many many times. So the research for uh, this book and all of my books is is a lot of fun.
0: Travel research, it's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Giving ourselves the treat of travel research. Yes, yes, I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the program. I look forward to having you back. I know you have other books that you've written. How many in total are there? Uh,
1: 13, Excellent. Uh, I write fiction and nonfiction. Um, I started off writing mystery trivia, so I have a trivia book on Agatha Christie, Alfred Hitchcock, and Sherlock Holmes, oh,
0: fun.
1: and then I wrote a biography about a topic that I'm real passionate about, it's um, a story of the ornithologist who saved the whooping cranes from extinction. Uh, I'm a very passionate burger. So this was a a story that really was close to my heart. Uh, I write the, like you said, I write the Kate Caraway series. Mm -hmm. This this is my animal rights mystery series. Another, uh, another passion of mine. So um, I've got two books out in the Kate Caraway series. The third one will be out in August. Nice. I will um, look
0: for that. Yeah, Yeah. And I'll find the others on Amazon as well. I'm so glad you had time to spend with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to having you back on the program again. Okay, see you soon. All right, be well. Bye. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.